0: Hello, and welcome to the ABC Activism Beyond the Classroom Podcast. The theme of this episode is Pentrification. My name is Henry. I'm a master's student in the Higher Education Administration Program at the University of Pennsylvania. Joining me are my friends, consigliere, inspiration, <laughs> their project, go. and they will introduce themselves, so.
1: Great. Howdy, y'all. My name is Dorothy. I am also a master's student at the higher ed uh, division with Henry. We've had a lot of great experiences together in the program.
2: I'm Betsy. I'm also a master's student here at Penn um, studying education, culture, and society.
0: So. What is Pentrification, right? That's probably the question that you're thinking about most. Um, We are all students in (laughs) Professor Crystal Strong's Activism and Education class here at Penn. And for the better part of this semester, our focus has been on the University of Pennsylvania's relationship with the city of Philadelphia broadly, but specifically the West Philadelphia community so uh, to give you sort of an overview of what we're going to be talking about um, we wanted to give you some context into what we sort of talked about in class we led two weeks worth of class discussions um, and so we want you to hear those conversations and then ultimately we're going to conclude by trying to figure out what this all means and what should the relationship between a university and its surrounding community look like is penn actually a model as it is so often described i think we all have some thoughts on that. Um, And trying to make sense about the ethical quandaries of university, community, partnerships, and relationships in general.
1: Ethical quandaries, using your SAT words. Uh, So stick with us. (laughs) So stick with us, it's
0: going to be a fun ride. Uh, We promise not to bore you. (laughs) Yes.
1: Take a
3: walk with some friends to the corner of 40th and Walnut.
1: So we're walking.
3: We're walking, yes. You and I. Yes, and we arrive at the corner of 40th and Walnut. To our right we have the Fresh Grocer, and to our left we have the potential spot for a new construction of student dormitories. What most people do not realize about this site is that it's constructed. The boundary between the literal campus of Penn and the surrounding community has been constructed over the past three decades. If you continue to walk down Locust to the corner of 34th and Walnut, what you will witness is a perfectly maintained inclusive campus, one that seeks to foster collaboration and connectivity between Penn, its students, its faculty, and visitors. This construction serves two purposes. To keep students and its community members in, as well as to exclude
1: just like the non-university folks. So so let's talk about like how that actually
0: looks, right? Because there's going to be there's a pen pushback, which is Locust Walk is very public. It's open to the public. There are no gates, right? Right. Anybody can sort of
1: stroll on up up there, right? So and there's
2: like, but there's still like a thing
1: to be said for invisible barriers,
2: and also like. I think it's important to know that there's, like, security in every building. Like, okay, yeah, you can walk down Lucas Walk, but you cannot get inside of every building, like, without a pen ID or, like, another form of ID or, like, scanning a card. And, like, you know, you can only access certain rooms or like, certain floors. And all of the, most of the buildings, like, along Walnut that are part of campus, right, are, like, don't have outward-facing doors. Mm-hmm. And that is all, like, very purposeful, right? And a means of, like, excluding others who do not belong.
3: Locust was never this pristine. If you take yourself back 40, 50 years, there were residential houses that situated themselves on the sides of Locust Street. There were also trolley lines that ran along Locust. But Penn, as part of its larger vision to create this inclusive West Philadelphia community and to further develop the area, lobbied the city to specifically move the trolley lines below ground.
1: So, wait, Locust used to be, like, like, like a normal street. Yeah. And now it's, like, because I, I, like, when I walk through Locust, it's, like, this beautiful pathway lined with trees. Never used and to be that way. So, all those, like, houses that are now, like, fraternities and sororities, like, those used yeah. to be, whoa, that's pretty interesting. I think
0: it's worth, for just a moment, backing up and mentioning that, you know, Penn is a very old institution, right? It's been founded since the 1700s. 1749, to be exact. Excusez-moi, but Penn's only been in West Philadelphia since early after World War II, Mm -hmm. right? The university was strongly considering moving out to Fally Forge um, because there was more land, it was more idyllic, uh, there was less concern about crime, urban plight, which I think is code for they were worried about what it would mean to move their university into an area with a bunch of low-income African-American families, yeah. okay? Right. So in this lobbying with the city to sort of get this land, get this space to move into West Philadelphia, part of that plan involved trying to, in their eyes, what they considered transforming this area. Yeah. And what does that mean to yeah. transform this area? It means we're going to raise these houses We're going to displace some 500 to 600 low income African American families, Mm -hmm. basically take them out of their homes. We're going to tear all these houses down. We're going to build these locust walks and things like that, the University City Science Center. We're going to build these things. Like,
1: that wasn't. It was. It wasn't like a bad thing they were doing, yeah, right? It was like, like all
2: under the guise of like urban renewal, right, like urban exactly. revitalization. Yeah. Right. They weren't
1: like, we're going to make all of these people leave and like never come back. It was like, we're going to improve the space just by being here.
3: From the city standpoint, it, it welcomed this development. And that's the, that's the pretty amazing point because Penn and the city of Philadelphia are best friends. They love each other. Uh, the minute Penn started to develop in West Philadelphia the city essentially gave them on all access pass to zone the area for years to come so Penn had a very meticulous scheme where it would divide up land huge chunks of land based upon zones and then within those zones you could plan 10-20 years in the future and know that those row houses that, that situated themselves on a couple of streets they would be torn down eventually in a a couple of years. The minute the house was turned over to the university, you have about 3,500 people being displaced, homeless, with the university picking up no responsibility to provide alternative housing or or means of, of, of living. So what now? Penn decides that it's in its best interest to continue developing the university and to utilize those sites that were previously inhabited by residents of West Philadelphia to grow and to beautify the area. So the questions we're kind of trying to ask through this podcast are, are, are what now? When we're in 2018 and we have a pretty stark relationship with with our community and we're continually trying to
0: define how we interact with them, how how can we not acknowledge this history? uh, Right, and thinking about this tumultuous relationship that's really been in place going back 50, 60 years even, right, is when this sort of started. It's worth mentioning that um, Penn was especially hit hard by the crack cocaine epidemic in the 80s um, and very much sort of the Bill Clinton era um, security police force engagement, you know, uh, of the sort of 90s and that sort of whole wave of increasing and strengthening. Security, and Question.
1: I... when you say, like, Penn was hit hard, do you mean, like, at students, were like, like a lot of them were West Philadelphia, like... in
0: particular, was ravaged by the crack cocaine epidemic of right. the 1980s. And, and so, so as par- a
1: result, Penn...
0: And, straight- uh, you know, a, a, as the sort of, quote-unquote, Ivy League institution that it is, right, uh, wanted to boost its prestige and reputation and wanted to recruit the kids that were going to Harvard and Yale and... Princeton and places like that. And I think they were genuinely struggling because people were concerned that, you know, they're sending their kid to an area where two blocks away, you've got people shooting up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's a, that's a real concern for parents. It's a marketing concern. I think we can accept all of that, but there, I think are different ways they could have gone about handling, um, the position of sort of safety and security
1: right and i mean um, like when you think about it though still like a lot of the leaders are coming from these areas of prestige right very few leaders of the university at that time coming from the actual community or were actually community members or even like students themselves were not from like this area right Mm -hmm. and so you very much have this case of people that are not familiar with the territory, not familiar with with like the culture here, um, having this this idea of, of this glorified idea of what an Ivy League campus should look like.
3: Along with the construction of Locust, the very literal construction of that space, comes to the the eventual construction of Penn's relationship with its its communities. Um, It's hard not to think that Penn began this endeavor because of pressure from its students and its faculty. But that is quite literally the case. If if Penn did not need to invest and and interact with its surrounding uh, residents and, and, and community members that aren't a part of the university, it wouldn't have to.
1: And also, like, when we say Penn, right, it's not like this one anonymous entity. It's comprised of a lot of people because yes. Penn is totally desegmented. Yes. right? I sort of think of it as, like, you know the borough? From like the Weasley's house, where it's just like you had that one structure, and then they piled yeah, on yeah, a yeah, lot of yeah, things yeah. on top, and so it's like it's this like cool structure, but like no one really knows <laughs> like where anything yep. is, because frankly, like community perspectives have never really been involved in elite universities, right? I think something different could be said for even like community colleges or even state colleges, um but when you think about like elite institutions in the history of like why they were even founded, right? It was to essentially ensure that the elite had a place to go and learn so they could continue being elite. Sure. Um,
0: the, the, where you're going to is sort of the pen argument, which is, oh, we found the Netter Center, right? This center that's devoted to interacting with right. the community. I believe it just celebrated its 25th year anniversary, right? right? right. Um, and what I find curious is any community service-related Project runs through them, Mm -hmm. right? It's the Netter Center branding. It's not the University of Pennsylvania branding, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost as if um, Penn strongly wants and I think this is true when you look at its building projects, Penn wants its students to stay on campus as much as possible.
1: Whereas like I think what you see from Penn is like this very active, like trying to buy more and more land, especially like from areas that are around it and sort of expand, right? And part of that is because, I mean, it's a business, it exactly. wants to grow. Yeah. Penn's
3: number one goal when the trustees sit down and who employ our current president, Amy Gump, the number one goal Dr. is Amy. to sustain
0: this business entity. Right. And how does one do that? So, yeah. Can I ask a, a, a quick question here? Because you just described it, Connor, as beneficial to the students. Yes. Do you think this relationship is actually beneficial to the student body? You're you're the undergraduate, right? So yes. you've been on this campus longer than I think Dorothy, Betsy and I have been. Yeah. Um so I think your perspective on this is different from ours and that you've sort of been on the ground with this Mm-hmm. for four years um, in a yeah. way where you know we've sort of seen this development over the course of nine months because mm-hmm. you're and also so, from the area right yep I'm, I'm less than a mile away right so i think this question of whether Penn is actually benefiting the student body by trying to enclose mm-hmm. the students on its campus and mm-hmm. i think the reasons that you provided are, are well 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 documented and, and well stated and we should talk about that dormitory on 40th and Walnut that's going up yeah. uh, it, it, a little bit later. But are you doing a service to your students by trying to enclose them rather than getting them to engage with the city and engage with the community yeah. in a more thoughtful, maybe more fruitful way? Well, great question, honestly.
3: And I would I would start by the very first day that you arrive on campus. So Penn has a program called New Student Orientation. I take part in uh, as part as a way to give back and help orient uh, new students as well as transfer students and exchange students to the university. And within that first day, you have a meeting with the Division of Public Safety, Penn's kind of police and safety. The first thing they tell you when you when you come into this meeting is they give you the literal boundaries of the university because they have uh, bike-walking assistance that will help you late at night. They have, they have uh, a huge radius past Penn's campus that, that provides security and blue-light cameras to you if you ever need them. And they quite literally tell you to not venture past about 43rd, 44th Street, that if you do, you will be on your own. And this number has changed significantly over the years. It used to be 40th. That used to be the big number. Don't go past 40th but now since development and nicer gentrification has happened around the area, that number has increased. So I think we can take that as a microcosm and just look at how Penn is telling its students to interact with the community and how that really does set up this bubble that quite literally does exist. As an undergrad, the the, the continually what I witness is, is students staying within this space. And sure, that's beneficial, but...
2: Only to a certain extent. Yeah. And for only certain people.
3: And when we look at service learning, because Penn as a university has two missions. On the left is research, on the right is service. Within its mission statement, it has hypothetically a commitment to both of these things. Whereas research pulls in lots of dollars and money, service uh, doesn't do as, as much. So Penn has a very intensive ABCS, Academically Based Community Service course. I've engaged in about five or six of these courses and, and, and helped to teach a few of them myself. And what I can tell you is that students, most often than not, benefit from this partnership a lot more than the community does.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, like also, let's break down the students at Penn, right? Like. Who's actually here, right? Seventy percent of students at Penn are coming from the top two percent, um, like economic, uh, like bracket, bracket. Yeah. Like let's let's talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not like the students that are coming here are necessarily like wanting to like engage with the community. Yeah. Um, you know, like how many. Like first gen, stu- like twelve point four percent of the students in the undergraduate class are first gen students, right? Like
3: when you start to privatize education the way that Penn quite literally does at this point, um, regardless of financial aid and, and and this university which really doesn't offer much scholarship, um, what does that mean for an individual when you're paying sixty five seventy thousand dollars a pop for a slice of education? Mm-hmm. What does that do to you as an individual? What does it teach you about, you know, a means to an end, or, or about, you know, the the purpose of an education? I think that Penn is walking a fine line of contradiction when it says that it both wants to get students really heavily involved. <coughs> with caring about the community while it simultaneously is charging them $70,000 to do so. For it, right right? Like...
0: So is the argument you're presenting that because Penn recruits a, by and large, certain caliber or quality or... A certain student, if you will. Mm. And I'm trying not to make this racial, but, I mean, look, we got to call it what it is for a hot second. We're talking about privileged white folks here, mm-hmm. by and right. large. Yep, a lot of international Kay. wealth, too. And there's yeah. a lot of international wealth, but right. the, the, the kind of student you're describing, yeah. that's who fits. Which are, is are, like, And so I guess what I'm trying to get at is, are you sort of saying because they come from this background, m- maybe this, like, community engagement piece is not something that they grew up with because of their privilege because of the wealth that they grew up in so for them it's like why bother even engaging in this or or, I guess I'm trying to figure out sort of where you're getting
1: at with so I'm coming at it from two different ways one Penn has a lot of money to be able to support more students of color more disadvantaged students Um, knowing that, like, we have, like, Penn as a, as a university can provide opportunities that allow for, um, people to, like, climb the social wealth ladder, etc., right? A separate point that I'm making is not necessarily that because students are rich, they don't want to be involved in community affairs, but I feel like there's a very different experience growing up where, like, I'm first gen, right? In college, I didn't know, like, I couldn't afford to, like, go out with friends, right? Whereas, like, a lot of my other friends were, like, hyper-wealthy and, like, goddamn near stayed at a hotel because they didn't like the dorms, you know? Um, you have a very different understanding of how the world works. Yes. yes. And so I think that when you take into account how much like the community because like even when you think about like why universities started accepting more like diverse students it wasn't necessarily out of like the goodness of their own heart right it was literally because like hey the world's changing and like these elite students if they want to stay like rich and wealthy and like need to know how to navigate the world and all of its intricacies right so it wasn't even just like a oh my goodness like these People are like so disadvantaged, like we can help them. It was a uh, man, like our students really got to learn from them. Yeah, uh, right.
0: If you go to local community organization meetings like the Spruce Hill Community Association or Walnut Hill Community Association, um, they'll tell you that um, they're one of the reasons their relationship with Penn is fractured is because they don't feel like they have any agency into the buildings that Penn are putting up that are being designed in their areas Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a source of frustration for them who are thinking about the development of their areas as small business owners who have to regularly interact with Penn students and faculty but you know I can understand their frustration when they go Penn's building a new dorm new college house west it's going to cost 168 million dollars or whatever and the community had no input into its design. The community had no say in what happens when 400 to 500 new students suddenly move to 40th and Spruce, and what's that going to do to all of those businesses in that area. The community had no input into the design of the library, of Van Pelt Library, right? And how, if you look on Walnut Street, it's basically designed as a warehouse, right? Like there's no development on that side of the street, Mm -hmm. right? These are simple things, and these are easy wins. It's not hard to basically go to the community and go, here's what we're thinking about. What do you think about this? Mm-hmm.
2: Or even like, what are you thinking? About? <laughs> like, would this help you? Like, how would this benefit you? Like, would this hurt you? Mm-hmm. Like, how did, you know, like, it, I feel like it doesn't always have to be, it shouldn't always have to be pen coming to the community and being like, this is what we're thinking. Like, what do you think? It can also be like, community being like this is what we're thinking like how can we work together like it shouldn't always have to be Penn in that position of power even though it is a very powerful institution right yeah
0: 100 percent. there is a tremendous opportunity here I think we all recognize that at some point it's going to come down to whether the university genuinely wants to engage in that opportunity for the betterment of this community Um, and I think that's something that we can all hope for and something we can all push for and something that we can all aspire for because as graduates of this university, we want it to have the best reflection on the community possible because it's a community we've all come to care about. Um, So we'll leave it at that. Um, Thank you for listening. Um, We hope this has been informative. We hope this has been um, instructive uh, in sort of thinking about our relationship to Philadelphia and Penn's relationship to West Philadelphia.
3: Yeah, and if any of you are interested in learning a little bit more about the class or the work that we did this semester, or just want to become connected with fellow like-minded activists and programming throughout the city of Philadelphia, please visit us at our website at activismbeyondtheclassroom.squarespace.com.
2: Thanks.